All right, we are live, and uh, for those of you joining us online, this is What About Me, Lesson 58. We're going through 2 Timothy in its entirety tonight, and uh, by way of uh, reminder, I will uh, sort of bring you up to speed that uh, we're looking at this from a Gentile perspective and wondering what about our halakha and where should it derive and what is our guide for life and godliness. And um, we have gone through the entire apostolic scriptures chronologically. And uh, if you look at the end of your study guide, you'll find that uh, Lesson 59 is going to pick up with uh, Second Peter. Uh, from Second Peter, we'll jump into uh, the book of Jude and probably 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for next week. And that will be posted uh, tomorrow night. Um, then we'll have one class. This will be the second class after tonight on the entire book of Revelation, 22 chapters in one fell swoop. Um, I just don't see a lot of halakha there. So it'll be, it'll be quick. Ooh, so that's a lot second. of reading. It is a lot of reading. I'm just reading through it and have a good time with it. Uh, or just read the parts I tell you to read. Um, but it would be great if you read the whole thing. Um, actually, there's a blessing for actually reading that book, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage you to do that. Um, then the third class from tonight would be our summary. And I actually prefer that instead of reading all 22 chapters of Revelation, just read the first four chapters and spend more time on reflecting what you've learned and what you've seen in this class. So that third class uh, has some meaning uh, for those who listen and come behind you. Uh, the legacy we leave for those who follow in our footsteps is the only thing that's meaningful when we're gone. And I would hope that it would be uh, a tremendous blessing to those that listen, especially if they're uh, not nearby. Uh, the old song, they all will come behind us, find us faithful. It was uh, Steve, Steve Green, right? Green, yes. Melody, you know, out yeah, good stuff. What a what a tremendous voice. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's where we're at. And then, uh, as I was speaking to some of the men here tonight, uh, we'll be taking a, a little bit of a hiatus um, so that we can uh, prepare our next class. At the request of uh, Jonathan Loveless, um, we will be uh, doing a review or an overview, if you will, of the end times. Uh, this, uh, I'm, I've asked Scott if he would co-teach with me. He's uh, uh, agreed to do that. So we need a little bit of time to put our outline together because, uh, as I think I mentioned before, he and I spent seven years on an in-depth, deep dive on the end times because we found that in order to study the end times, you had to study books that normally, as Christians, we hadn't studied. For example, if you want to read uh, some of the poignant passages in the 37th or 38th chapter of Ezekiel, you can't really start in chapter 37. I mean, you really have to start in chapter 1 and get some context as to where this writer is going. Daniel chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 12, and so forth. Joel, you know, 2 and 3. You know, we, we can rattle them off, but if you haven't had the privilege and the opportunity recently to, to understand the context of many of these books. Many of you have been in the men of Torah class for years. Uh, remember when we went through the uh, minor. 
the minor prophets, the, uh, I can't remember the Hebrew name for it. It's some kind of phrase, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I want to say it's the 12, right? Yeah. Um, well, modern Hebrew just demonstrates that. I don't know if that doesn't sound quite yeah. right. Yeah, anyway, uh, we did the minor prophets, and we know that there are six minor prophets tied with 12 minor prophets, uh, I mean, pardon, six major prophets tied with 12 minor prophets, and there are... Treasar. Treasar, thank you very much. God bless you, man. God bless you. <laughs> so we studied the Treasar, and uh, we've got some good studies on that, but... Um, that was a good class. It was a good class. It was a good series. Um, but And you said that in, you can do it in less than five years this time, right? Yeah, well, my goal, yeah. Um, we're not so going to do another deep dive. I promised my wife I would not do that, but... Uh, the goal would be that we could do some type of an overview that would give you a, a perhaps a context for each of those books, um, so that we're not uh, having to spend months and months, you know, getting to it. Uh, but perhaps we can prep you, bring you to it, and then kind of present all of the various and poignant passages uh, in in a sequence. And uh, as Gregory has recommended. Uh, that we would use a visual aid to try and lay out a uh, proposed end times panorama uh, that would uh, help you to understand what's going to happen. It is dismaying to me that uh, many in uh, Christendom uh, were concerned years back when there was going to be war in the Middle East and, and they were thinking it would, you know, this is the harbinger of the coming of Messiah and the end times and all hell's going to break loose, we're all going to die and, uh, and then Messiah will come, something like that. And uh, so just to kind of, for those of you listening and want to move on to the next class with us, if you're thinking that war is the harbinger of the end times, you've got it backwards. It's actually peace that's the uh, harbinger of that. So that's, uh, that's where we are. So that's, uh, that's what we'll be doing. As and, uh, some of the wives, so the men in this room can tell you, we talk about the birth pains at the end yes, times. Birth yes. pains do not mean there's a baby anytime soon. That's exactly it takes right. a while. That's exactly right. And that's, uh, that's exactly what we'll be, uh, be looking at. So tonight, uh, 2 Timothy, um, he brings up uh, two references uh, in the beginning there uh, that I thought uh, were worthy of note. Um, we have a holy calling. That's interesting. A holy call. Um, and that uh, Timothy is to follow the pattern of sound words which he heard from Paul. So well, what, does that, what does that mean to be holy or to be set apart? And what are the sound words? Well, what's, what's that all about? I mean, this is one of the last books written in the uh, apostolic scriptures from a, uh, a timing perspective where um, some would say... Um, budding right up to 66 of the Common Era. Uh, we know that Paul was uh, martyred before the uh, last Jewish revolt in 66. Um, and Timothy, soon after, uh, he was actually imprisoned and then released and, and came back to, to Paul. Um, so, you know, we're at the, we're at the back end here. And we'll, so what, you know, you, you probably already know, but what are these sound words and... Uh, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be set apart in, in the context he's given? 
Yes. Advocate for the opposing side here for what I think you want the answer to be. <laughs> Shocker. Give me the opposing side. <laughs> um, when I looked at it, to me, and I and I, uh, I want to caveat by saying I do think that Paul does reference the Torah in chapter three, which we'll get to in a second. But I, but I, reading this one, it looked like the holy calling and the sound words were actually in relationship to Yeshua and the gospel. Um, just looking at the context of the passage, it says, verse eight: Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Messiah Yeshua before the ages began. So, call us to a holy calling, and then you kind of have this long parenthetical here, which he gave us in Messiah Yeshua before the ages began. To me, it looks like the calling there. Holy, of course, just simply means set apart. Correct. Um, so it can reference a number of different things, uh, including the, de the definition of holiness, or just simply a, a special calling. Um, then the sound words, context, again, in my view, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Oh, sorry. Let's scroll up again. The, uh, verse 10, he says, he's talking verse, about... Verse 13 is the pattern of sound words which that you've heard, heard from, me from me. In the faith and love that are in Messiah Yeshua. Yes. So the sound words are, are in the faith and love? Or... Well, that's how the pattern that he gave was in the faith and love that are in. Yeshua. The reason why I thought that partly was because it seems like his primary concern in talking with Timothy um, was around Timothy's commitment and purity with regards to the gospel and dealing with a lot of contrarian persons. And Paul is dealing with contrarian persons as well. Right. And it seems to focus a lot on that. Um, I do think that chapter 3, when he talks about... Well, let's not jump to chapter 3. All scripture, let's stay in uh, one nine. Okay. And just understand, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. That's a set-apart calling. Set-apart in what way? How is it set-apart? How is it different? How is it unique? Is this a new book for you guys? I'm sorry. Well, no, I think I, my view is just that the, the, the Messiah being um, it, you know, revealed in the... Uh, what's the terminology? Not the appropriate time. In the uh, fullness. fullness of time, that to be a part of that whole experience, to be part of sharing the gospel, to be part of believing in the gospel, is a holy, set apart calling. There's a specialness to that. Um, are you, that are you saying that there's another part of the body of Messiah? So there's those like Abel. No. Uh, that we learned about last week. But experiencing it is unique. Okay. This is not the book where he talks about those who have seen versus those who have not seen. These are people who's just saying, you have a holy calling, and you heard these sound words. What are the sound words that he told to this Gentile boy who had a Gentile father but a Jewish mother? I, am I missing something? We could go later on to see that he refers, I think, again to these words and says, you know, since the beginning, it's the sacred scriptures that have raised you up to understand who God is. So, right, and that clearly is the Tanakh. But you don't think this is? This is what words? Which words are these? I think the teachings about Yeshua. The pattern of sound words. Sound being, I, I think I went through it's that in the study guide. 
follow the pattern of the sound words mm. is kind of a clue to following a pattern, the Torah is following a pattern. But so you have faith in Yeshua. More of a halakhic, follow what you've been taught, this pattern of sound words. I th I, if you had left out the word sound, I might agree with you. Sound would be foundational, solid. Well, no, the sound, this is a, this is a health term. This is, um, oh, is this the word that you were referring yeah, to? Yeah. Right, so this is... Uh, He's, this is the second time he's used this, right? Um, safe and sound to be healthful, to healthy and sound. Uh, this is a uh, this is a medical term. Okay. Hugiano. So I, I think I can. I can You're gonna have to speak up because Joshua says that everybody can hear me on the tape except everybody else seems like their heads in a toilet or something. Scott Martin sounds like he's in the next room. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, speak up now. What, I didn't what? use any of those words. Those <laughs> uh, but those were sound words. <laughs> it's, it, when I went through it, I could see both sides because on the one hand, it when it says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, yes. it's like, well, what happens after you're saved? And that's kind of the, that's the point of sanctification, and the yeah. holy calling is sure. a, a life of righteousness. A holy calling, right? And it's, but at the same time, I do agree that Josh was right. This this context is very heavily focused, specifically on the gospel and testimony of the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua, and of believing and faith in Him, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he references that constantly throughout this one chapter. Okay. So okay, it's. So the, but, but that's the point, so right? Is that the point of our faith that you oh, can't oh, really no. separate both? Yeah, no right. question, no question. Right. But but I'm I'm trying to understand again to the point of our class, right? Where does our halakha come from? I'm sorry. From where does our halakha come? Is it not these sound words or these foundational precepts in the Torah? Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe these sound words of which you're speaking and Paul was referring are the testimony of Yeshua. Well, and to, I could I could buy that. To your point, I mean, I think that chapter what was this chapter uh, two, verse twenty-one. He says, um, "If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable yeah. use, set apart as holy." There's that word again. Yeah, yeah. Useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Well, again, what are the good Exactly. He then begins to describe things that are, um, he says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But these are all um, very generic terms. Except, faith in what, love in what, peace in what. Except righteousness. righteousness. No, 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 no. I'm saying, but all these terms only make sense if you've already got them predefined. Oh, in other words, if I were to you pull already aside. Have the context right, where from, if yeah. I pull aside somebody and they don't know me from Adam and I say, you should pursue righteousness. They have no idea what I'm referring to. What I'm referring, to. And, and is that not the point? Is that not the point of this class? That that's exactly it right there. If if Paul is saying just out of the blue, you need to pursue righteousness, and hasn't taught in some way in the past how or from where you get that, this makes no sense whatsoever. If you remove the Torah, or I think, as, as Joshua was implying, some pre-understanding or communication of a doctrinal treaty like the Torah, 
then pursuing righteousness makes absolutely no sense. See, the testimony of Yeshua to me, his resurrection and his miracles are secondary to his primary goal, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven or God is at hand. Mm -hmm. And so the underlying principle being repentance was what his ministry was all about, in my opinion, from my studies. I, I, I and agree everything with else you fell. 100%. And I think a, 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 a salient point would be, how can you possibly repent? Unless you understand exactly. from what you must turn and therefore what you must turn to. That's right. And, that's and since his ministry was primarily to the Jews... That makes perfect sense. It's a great point. The only comes to it's the a great point. Yeah, I was just going to say the same yeah. thing. The, the, the concept <laughs> of repentance means that there has to be something that you are turning back, back to. to. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, <clears throat> what, what, it's, it's already been established. Exactly. All he's doing is just exactly. reiterating. Yeah. 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 And maybe that's where Paul's coming from. It is his, his, the master's words were that we need to turn to the Torah. I, I just find it interesting, though, that he's writing to it a non-Jewish man. But there may be such a, an amazing relationship now after so many years. I mean, this is the idea of his life and soon the end of Paul, uh, Timothy's life. So, I mean, they obviously have an understanding of all of these terms and we're picking up in the middle. Yes, sir? I'm kind of late now, but I was going to say, even if it was only turning away... How do you define what you're turning away from? Yeah. So it kind of... Yeah. There's got to be some rules that are that are assumed, unspoken, or whatever. Yes, sir. And to your point about his heritage, genetic heritage, yeah, yeah. Um, Paul actually makes reference to that in this passage. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Yes. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. What's interesting about that is what we know from the text I believe, is that his father is Greek. Yes. So his mother is Jewish. I'm going to go on a limb and assume that the Lois, the grandmother here, would be her mother, who's also Jewish. So it's interesting is when he's talking about the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, hypothetically, we could be talking about Yeshua, hypothetically, because I mean, it could have been like, so on Tuesday the 1st, your grandmother got saved, and on Wednesday the 2nd, your mom got saved, and you came in on the 4th. You right, know? right, right, right. It really reads more from a context, uh, historical context perspective, as saying, you've believed in the God of the Bible, defined as the Tanakh, Torah, because there's no other Bible at that time. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your mom and your grandmother have passed down this heritage through your Jewish line, and that is also in you. And since that is in you, you should... um, that as being a springboard uh, in your ministry about Yeshua. So you should, you should start here with your Jewish faith, uh, or biblical faith, really, but yes. my point, yes. and, and not let that go. Because, I mean, the, the rest of the book, I mean, that's it's, it's why I'm saying, I, I agree with Greg, it can go either way. Yeah. I was saying my perspective. I think that the, the context of the book, um, there, the two themes that appear the most are the gospel, talking about Yeshua, and then the dangers of sin. Right. Well, sin is only defined as violating the Torah. Exactly right. So I want to make sure that anyone who's listening online and doesn't know you, you know, those folks in Gastonia. Um, it doesn't know what I mean by righteousness when I use the term. Or, or don't know what you mean by Timothy keeping his Hebrew faith that he learned from his Hebrew grandmother and his Hebrew 
mom is not necessarily where Paul was coming from, but rather because of their heritage that they passed down to him, he, like us, is able to embrace and hold on to this faith, right? This faith is not because he's Jewish, oh. even if right. one could think of him but as But rather Jewish. because of Jewish teaching. Exactly, from, exactly. From, from his heritage. Yes, it, it, yeah. he's, he's had teaching in the past that's brought him to the knowledge in the, of the Savior of, the, of mankind. Yeah, another way to say that is the generational faithfulness <laughs> yes. of yes. his grandmother and his mother. I think this is as much of a... Con- uh, commendation yes. of, of, those, two of women. those two women Yes, as it is uh, yeah. anything else. Yeah, it's not pointing to the fact that you've got to be Jewish because he, no. you know, it, it points out that he's, he's not, right? You know, he's been taught well. You know, he's been taught the scriptures, yeah. And, and we see later on, to your point, in chapter and, two or three, that, you know, from the beginning you were taught the scriptures and they're able to save you. Yes, sir. And taught the scriptures definitely within the Jewish context. Exactly. This is one of those interesting books that contains that nugget with the two names of the Egyptian magicians. Yeah. That is is found nowhere in scripture except in the Targum and in the Talmud. Right. So it's like it's one of those interesting evidences of of the fact that Paul is obviously well studied you bet and uh, yeah. in in Jewish writings and so then uh, and, and in in uh, Greek writings as well I mean and he's, in Greek he's, writings. he's well studied but you're right he's bringing in as he has before these issues even the writer of Hebrews did that in our last study of um, you know Paul of uh, Abraham receiving his son back from the dead as it were well, what the heck does that mean? You actually, know? it's a tradition. It is, yeah. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. You know, the tradition is that Isaac died. He killed him. And God raised him up. <clears throat> it, well, you wouldn't know that unless you knew the Midrash and so forth. Same thing here, right? How would you know the names of these two magicians? They're nowhere else in the scripture. you got to get that from the tradition. And I think that that's one of the exciting things about Paul is that <clears throat> being that well learned throughout his his uh, upbringing yeah. in, in Judaism like that has only strengthened his faith further in Messiah Yeshua yeah. right? like, he is he is just on fire will do anything for the gospel of Yeshua specifically yeah. Yeah. but it, it's like through that context because it's like everything just began to make sense for him and he's embraced it because of it not in spite of it right, right. And it's interesting that actually he, Paul plays it off with Timothy at the beginning of chapter one when he references the faith of his mother and grandmother it isn't to say um, well true to that say with it it's actually more like well because you did that or we, I'm so encouraged by that I have you know confidence in you that you can do this and yeah. verse in chapter three it says how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which can only reference the, the Tanakh and or possibly some Jewish uh, commentaries and teachings because which I guess could be considered sacred. But there's no, I mean, sacred writings from childhood for Timothy does not include the Gospels. They weren't written. Exactly right. And it goes into verse 16, right? All Scripture. All Scripture. But then even within that, though, to to Greg's point, the sacred writings that he's acquainted with, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. The the Tanakh doesn't reference Yeshua, quote-unquote, by name. It references his name, but not him by name at all. But the teachings in the Tanakh are useful in this faith in Messiah Amen. Yeshua. And in fact, so much so 
that they are able to equip you with the ability to understand it that's and to right. know how to live it. And that's why in verse 17, after it talks about all scripture, it says, what, is it, what does all scripture do for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work? You know what's missing there? It doesn't say that the man of God may be almost complete. The man of God may be equipped for every good work except for faith in Messiah Yeshua. It's like the man of God may be complete. He needs nothing else right. besides the Tanakh. That's right. A really amazing thing uh, to say that, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, that we don't need the apostolic scriptures. It sounds, it sounds crazy, but 20,000 Orthodox Jews came to know Yeshua as the Messiah in that first century. The day of Pentecost and on. They just kept getting saved. Many priests got saved. There was no apostolic scriptures. The New Testament, as they call it, did not exist. It wasn't there. They got saved from the Tanakh. They got saved from what the church calls the Old Testament. We should be able to do that. We don't need the Roman road. We should use the Hebrew road. Jump into Isaiah. Jump into all the rest of the stuff that these guys used to share the fact that this long-awaited and promised Messiah, who Abraham met, has finally showed up. Well, what does Yeshua do? I mean, what's the end of Luke? He meets the guys in the Emmaus Road, and he says he explains them starting with Moses and going through the Psalms. All the scriptures. He doesn't, I mean, he's not quoting Mark, that's, that's right. for sure. That's right, or the book of Hebrews, which would have been cool. <laughs> but it, it was back to a couple classes ago when we, we kind of realized Paul doesn't quote Yeshua very often, if, if right. ever. He's always quoting Tanakh that's right. to prove Yeshua, that's right. That's right. to further... In, like solidify his gospel message. Exactly. That's exactly right. And he's doing the same thing here with Timothy. So you've heard these sound words. You grew up with the scriptures. And you know this has given you eternal life. Because in him, in his sacrifice, in the gospel itself, we see the fruition that has come to pass. Well, and I think... Oh, you guys say I was just going to say in Paul's defense, he couldn't um, not quote Tanakh because Yeshua did nothing but quote. Pretty much the Tanakh. That's right? good I mean, point. you tell the um, rich man, you know what the Torah says. That's right. To right. get eternal life. Yeah. Well, I've always done that. Okay, well, there oh. you go. You're and pretty the, close. And Alice kind of point to connect Yeshua to the Tanakh because, as you said earlier, Yeshua's primary spoken message was not believe in me, necessarily. I mean, he does say that some, but primarily it's focused around repentance. That's right. Well, if you, if, when you read throughout the gospel message, even from Paul, it's clear that faith in Yeshua minus repentance must burn in hell because it's not really faith in Yeshua. Because faith in Yeshua mandates you must repent, you must follow God. Well, how do you do that? You can only do it through the Tanakh. So the Tanakh becomes not only a, a, a tutor, as Galatians references it, to show us about Yeshua, but it becomes in, uh, essential it becomes a guidebook yes. for how to live a life with Yeshua. And if we don't have it, then we'll actually end up missing the entire point of Yeshua to begin with, which was a relationship with God. Amen. There's two sides to the same coin. You look at the one side of the coin, and we have condemnation and certain death. Described where? In the Torah. But the flip side is, if we accept that he'll fix the problem of sin, which we cannot, this same list of rules 
becomes how he would have us to live. Choose life. Choose life. That's mm -hmm. it. Nicely done, gentlemen. Nicely done. You guys need a tag team. Do you play handball? <laughs> okay, so um, in, uh, to, to bring us to where uh, Joshua brought us to the last verse of uh, chapter 3. Um, as I said in the study guide, I think Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are, are a, a short passage that you should commit to memory. Um, the fact that all scripture is inspired of God um, is, is profitable is an amazing statement that I think if you asked your concert B flat Christian, they would not believe. Mm. I've actually been in seminary classes where the professor says, we're going to go through the whole Torah. Of course, we're not going to read Leviticus. I mean, why would anyone waste their time with that? That's pretty shocking. I had one of my daughters sitting next to me. And she's ready to leave. <laughs> I mean, did, didn't he just violate the word of God? Doesn't 2 Timothy 3? Dad, what? why are we still sitting here? Why are we listening to this man? Isn't all scripture proper? I was pretty proud. I told him to be quiet. <laughs> but it tends to be that way, though. Even those, even those who try to pay lip service to this verse... There's a struggle, of course, um, because yeah. there's there's this tendency to want to say, well, all scripture is profitable in the sense that if you got the idea you need a savior, it that was enough. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was all you needed it for. Wasn't that profitable? Thank sure. goodness we don't have to read it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but the uh, but rather but, but Paul's reference here is so fascinating to me. This is not a Galatian style uh, tutor reference. The Galatian style tutor reference gets used by the church a lot to argue that. The Tanakh, the Torah, was strictly to, to give us the, the need for a savior, right. which I think is still wrong, but sure. it's a little bit more defensible because it's limited on what Paul's trying to get at. He's got a specific point. Right. But in this passage, it says what he listed out. It's profitable for teaching. Well, it might be about Yeshua, maybe not. Reproof. Struggling to see how that connects to the issue. And well, that sounds more like telling you what you're doing wrong. Exactly. That's correction. Right? Uh, correction, which is how to do it right, which is interesting because that's not just you need a savior, but actually how you Changing obey your life. him, right? Yeah. And then training in righteousness. And then again, we said the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Even if you interpret righteousness as referring to faith righteousness, you got a problem with the last verse because it says equipped for every good work, deed, doing. Yeah, which and, is where I was going. Yeah. I mean, the church, has, uh, <clears throat> the church has a lot of problems with anything that has to do with work. Whoa! Wait a minute! Don't you don't you don't think you, anything you do is going to affect your salvation, do you? And of course, we're standing on the other side of the salvation line, going. I thought we were done talking about salvation. Did we all agree that was Yeshua? We got nothing to do with that, right? It was everything. All Him. Let's lift Him up. It's all Him. Now what? Should I still go to the strip bar? Should I still smoke my cigarettes? And curse like a sailor? Uh, oh no, that's, that's wrong? I, I should spend time with believers? I should be studying the word of God? I should... Were you, are you making that up? Where are you getting that from? And if they would just back off a little bit, they would recognize that that's exactly what the Torah teaches. Hmm. Yes, sir? Um, first of all, I have a question. Would you define covenant 
as a bargain or a deal. It's interesting that you bring up a word that's not in our text, almost as a setup. I feel like I'm playing <laughs> golf and someone's about to steal the, the little golf ball just as I take my swing. So, Charlie Brown Lucy reference. That's exactly right. Thank you very much. So, all right, I'm, <clears throat> I'm man up. I'll man up to this challenge. Please repeat your question so that the jury can hear. I mean, the uh, people listening can hear you. Would you define covenant as a bargain or a deal? Just for sake of clarity, are those the only two alternatives? <laughs> or are those synonymous or, and meaning a bargain or a deal, the same kind of thing? Right. Yes. The latter, I see. Uh, I'll see you as a lawyer someday. I tell you what I'm going to do. I seem to get the vibe that it would be helpful for you to make your point or question if I were to say yes. I think the answer is no, but I'll say yes so that you can continue. I was going to say this. If we consider the covenant as a bargain or a deal that through... Yeshua, we are, um, Yeshua's blood, we are uh, saved, but that without faith in him, we, um, and without obedience to his commandments and repenting, that's like a bargain or a deal where without one side fulfilling its part, the other part cannot be fulfilled either. Okay, that's, that's wow, great, great point. So let's slow down a little bit because you made a, a great theological point that I think is amazingly incorrect, um, but has a, a thread in it that we need to, to, to follow, because this is great. Well done, Josh. So let me, let me see if I can rephrase that so we can talk about it a little bit. So your, I think your point is, if you look at the covenant as being this deal, okay, so like, I'll save my blood for you, then what? No, the deal being... Because Yeshua said his blood on the cross, you can be saved if you repent and believe. Okay, so so let me, again, let me, so I'll shed my blood for you, and you need to repent and, repent and believe in Yeshua. And believe. Or let's turn it around just so everybody else is, in, you know, in Gastonia is happy. You believe, and therefore you repent. Would that work? Yes. Okay, so I'll shed my blood for you, but you got to believe that I did that, and I was cool with God, and now we're clear, and you're going to repent. And would you move forward then with the repentance and say, then you would also do these works of the Torah, and you'd live a righteous life? Would you, would you, would that the follow on to repentance? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Scott, what do you think of that? Close. I think yeah. I I think it's what's what's I, I what's the really, There's not one dependent on the other. The the act of Yeshua is independent in and of itself. Right. He died for the world. Absolutely. So any who would then choose to have faith in his finished work of propitiation for our sins, then gets the benefit and the result of his work, that being a place in the world to come. So that means that the thief on the cross who believed that he was, in fact, the Son of God and was dying on behalf of his sin and, and did not, not have the, have opportunity, the opportunity to repent and practice the works of righteousness ah, was still saved. 
he had a ch he had the chance to repent, but he did not have the chance to do works of righteousness. Amen. So I think, and, and God bless you, it's a great question. The, 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 the hackles on the back of my neck went up when you kind of tied the repentance and works to together. They can't be, right? So that's, that's where we need to be careful. There's nothing I can do that will earn me a place in the world to come. That place was earned for me by my master. I got a place in the world to come. Now, what will my reward be? In the world to come, Joshua. What will it be based on? What will it be based on? Your faith in Him as your Savior. No, that's what got me into the world to come. What will my reward in the world to come be? Eternal life. That is the world to come. Oh. So when I get to the world to come, which I got because of His blood, what will my reward be? Will I have this great mansion, or will I have this little shuttle on the side there? You know, baking donuts for people. What, what, what's my reward based on? You will be able to be close to God. That's a lovely thing. World to come. Thank you very much. <laughs> what will my reward be based on? Just say, help. Based on? Yes. On what will my reward be, in, as opposed to his reward? How will our rewards be different? Are we all going to be doing the same thing? Are we, do we all get the same reward? Do we all have the same number of crowns to throw before his feet? I can give you a biblical reference. This would be like the grade school kids playing soccer. Right? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets the trophy. Right. So the, if the trophy is being in the world to come, that's lovely. But that's not the word, what the Word of God says. His blood got me into the world to come. What determines what my reward will be? Well, what I'm thinking is, why would we need to think what we're going to receive in the world to come, when I feel like we're really, I think I feel like we're really thinking about this question a little too hard. It's, I feel like it's rather simple. If we don't know what's what we're going to receive then in that time, well, Paul we... talks about it in this letter to Timothy. He says that the athlete who doesn't compete according to the rules doesn't win the prize. He says that the farmer who doesn't till the soil, isn't going to get to eat of the things. Doesn't mean he's not a farmer. Doesn't mean he's not an athlete. It's the soldier is trying to please the one for whom he is serving. Wait, your older brother actually had his hand up before you. Uh, you will be repaid according to your work. Thank, Thank you, you very much, sir. <laughs> now, just to go back to the, the point... That's not the motivating factor Correct. in doing the works of righteousness. The works Which of is probably where he was coming yes, from. That's right. The works of righteousness are the natural outflow of this that, is the outpouring right, of my of change, gratitude. My change in life. Oh, okay. Right? So now I recognize, holy cow, I've got a place in the world to come. And I didn't have to do anything for it. He did this for me. It's a free gift of salvation. I've got this place in the world to come. How can I say thank you? What's by, the greatest thing I can do? By working your butt off. By being obedient. By not violating his commands. By actually following his law. That's it. That's it. And in as much as I can work these works of righteousness, this... These works which were not in accord with his word are the works that are burned up. That of 
wood, hay, and stubble. But these others will actually endure. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. As he says in this book. Exactly right. But I think that to, to the point that we're making here, in, it is interesting that in Romans it says, that, you know, talking about belief in Yeshua, this reference confessing him as Lord. Realistically, there's no way that you can legitimately believe in Yeshua as having saved you from your sins without there being a component of, I'm going to obey him. Not just from a, or, or, I'm grateful and it flows out naturally. Sure. But, or, to, but, or to ignore where he stands. Well, because you have no need for a savior if there's no standard. Well, who, where's the standard come from? It has to come from God. Yeah. My point is that I'm not saying that we have to be a theologian to accept him. I think and that's I, a mistake. And I don't and think that's true. And I think we'll see that next week. You know, first John, second John, third John. I mean, this, John's all about it's this. Very, it's, right? it's, I mean, the, the gospel is ultimately simple. But that to be said, I do think that um, it's kind of like if... So these, these young men here who were adopted into Mr. Martin's family were, were babies, infants. If they had been their current age and Mr. Martin had offered them to join his family, uh, that would be a free gift. The only thing they would, quote-unquote, need to do is say yes. That being said, saying yes carries with it some inherent responsibilities. They're going to be a son. That means they have to be obedient to him as their father. Yeah. That's what I guess I'm trying to get at. Yeah. It isn't so much to say that your good deeds are what saves you, not God forbid, more the sense that it is, a, uh, it is embedded in the very concept of faith in Yeshua that you would obey him. Well, I, I think, you know, we, we let's, let's look at the other terms that are used in the scripture. I got you next and then your dad. Um, that we have been bought, right? We've been redeemed. We've been bought with a with a, an amazingly high price, with the precious blood of Messiah Yeshua, right? So, again, the, an incumbent uh, obligation. Then, mm -hmm. just to simplify what Mr. Sproak said, which always needs to be done. <laughs> Sometimes, when uh, you repent, one comes with it a responsibility to obey. Amen. Yes, that's exactly right. And and I, I would say that James is pretty much the top shelf with those in his day who claimed repentance but never changed their lives. And he's like, well, wait, wait a minute. It, you, if you, you say you have faith, but there's no works. And the works, of course, are the works of righteousness. This is just keeping the Torah. Well, Will you show me your works? I'll show you my faith. Without works, your faith is dead. Nothing. Is, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. Because there's no evidence that you actually have done that repentance. Scott? I just kind of go back to the, the, the question that, or, that originated this kind of rabbit trail. That usually in a covenant, there are two parties who agree to both do, yes. take certain That's actions. That's why I was hesitating yeah. at the beginning. And then based on the fulfillment of those actions by both parties, both parties mutually benefit from whatever the arrangement was. Okay. How many parties made a covenant, or how many parties were involved in the covenant that God made with Abraham? The covenant between the parts. Two. No, one. One. That's Why do you say one? How is it laid out? What happened? Get all these animals. Because God made a promise to Abraham. There was no... Other half. Right. In fact, 
what was Abraham's response? You can't remember because there wasn't a response. He was asleep. That's the whole point. He couldn't make a response. Right? He cut up the parts. He watched them, wouldn't let the birds attack any of the dead animals. And then he fell asleep. And a smoking torch went between the, walked between the parts. Normally two people would walk between them, making the covenant together. Well, let what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. That smoking torch went between those parts alone. And that's, that's the beauty of our faith, right? Mm -hmm. What do you need to do to be saved? Do? Trust in the one who made the covenant. That's it. That's all. Now, what's your response to that? How's your life change? Well, I'm a new, I'm a new creature. Cool. Whew. Oh, all right. She's already talking. I was to add to that. That's just what makes the covenant that much more special. Is that we didn't do anything for it. You know, we didn't decide to be his sheep and he our shepherd. You know that that he loved us before we loved him. And I, I, I love all those kind of verses because it, it really, it intensifies that desire to want to keep the, the commands, not just because of the salvation, but because of the, the relationship. The salvation is a part of the relationship that's there. It's, it's yeah, really an amazing thing. Remember that rabbi asked us, he asked the whole, the whole community, what are, what are the commandments? What, what does that do? To keep the commandments, what is all that? And one guy said, they give us a connection to the Master. They give us a connection to God. That's it. Yeah. It's, that, it's that relationship yeah. by keeping His commandments. I love the way the sages put it with that whole foyer metaphor, right? The world that comes is that banquet hall, and you're out in the foyer waiting to go into the banquet hall. This is life in the Alam Hazet. Yeah. Right? And the only time that you can keep His commandments is in that foyer, is in the Alam Hazet, is now. Yeah. Because once you step into the Alam Haba, there's no more commandments. It's sort of back in the garden. Yes, sir. And tying this back into Second Timothy, this, yeah. this whole discussion, talking about obedience and this inherent requirement, um, Paul spends not only quite a bit of time we've already read uh, encouraging Timothy to be obedient to the <coughs> scriptures, to the Tanakh, and to righteousness, he then contrasts himself and, and, uh, and what he wants Timothy to be with some rather unappealing characters. Um, he lists a whole long, chapter three lists a whole long list of nasty people, people be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, etc., etc. And then interestingly enough, at the end, um, it says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And then he lists Where, the, your, your that's verse, verse, uh, five. That's verse five. Yep. And then verse nine, talking about the Genesis and Jambres reference with Moses, um, he says that they are disqualified regarding the faith, that's verse 8, and but they will not get very far, for their folly will be put to all as that was of those two men. The point is that um, his reference, oh, in verse 7, is always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. In other words, what he's saying is that their lifestyles become roadblocks, not just in the sense that, like, that somehow makes them disqualified or makes them... Um, uh, and the lower end of the totem pole, but he implies, based on this passage, that that their speed the sin, well, even worse than that, a speed bump would imply that it'd be difficult for them to get to the to the end. This is implying bridges out. 
It's like no, your no. lifestyle is so corrupt and so destructive. You'll never you, get. You'll never get there. Yeah, no, I'm saying you speak most other people, which is which is horrible oh, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, you're exactly right. So, I love the way he ended it up. Right. You, however, in verse ten, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Right. Oh, he continues, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. I mean, these references, they, they all have to be doing something. Yeah. I mean, faith, you could maybe imply is, a, is an ethereal concept. Teaching is verbal. But conduct is action. Yeah. Um, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, these things, these things are things you demonstrate. In fact, in verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Messiah Yeshua will be persecuted, uh, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse. So the, the point is that he, throughout this book, is, is drawing a line in the sand to say the people who believe in Yeshua, who succeed in that and receive that reward, their lives look like it. Amen. And the people who don't, their lives don't look like that. And you don't want to be with those people because those people, whether they sound good right now or not, they are ultimately going to be led astray and they will lead others astray. Amen. That's it. But you know them by their deeds. And... You know them because of what the scripture says about them. Because the very next verse, he brings it right back to the sacred writings with which he was raised. So obviously, Lois and Eunice were teaching him the Tanakh. It's as simple as that. I mean, it comes full circle from chapter one, as you pointed out as we started. Yeah. It's a, it's, what a great heritage, you know? Um, and, you know, he's writing to somebody he's, he's sort of pseudo-adopted. Um, but amazingly, as dads, we could... We could write this to our own children as, uh, as they get older as well. This book to me reminded me so much of David's charge to Solomon. I think it's in 2 Samuel. Um, or maybe 1 Kings. 1 Kings. And David's on his deathbed, and he has this long list of things to tell Solomon. Some of it is very God the rest Make sure that this person this isn't he was bad to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in peace. Make yeah. sure he has I, a heart. I, I promise I wouldn't do anything to him, but you take him out. Right. Um, but but he starts by talking about you know, uh, act like a man, and how yeah. do you do that? You do that by obeying God. Amen. And and this book, you I think in your study guide you asked. It seems like Paul sounds really despondent, and he does. But he he sounds like someone who knows he's about to die. He sounds like someone who's at the end. Who somewhat disappointedly didn't see everything he'd hoped to see in his lifetime, and so this is really, in my view, a a, a not a plea. That's too strong a word. It's a charge yeah, to a man he considers yeah. a son yeah, I do, I think to a pass on his heritage and say, "Don't let my life have been a waste. I want you to repeat what I have tried to do." I would go further and say he knows that Timothy's going to do that, and this is just an encouragement to do so because I really think. He's not even second-guessing Timothy at all. Right. I think he was despondent. The reason I put it in there was, you know, chapter 4, it's just like, you know, can you bring the cloak? I left my cloak. Where did I leave that cloak? I left it with some guy over at some city. Can you get, try to come before winter, you know, because it's pretty cold over here, you know, and the, and the meatballs, oh, they're horrible, and the spaghetti is always dry. And this guy left me, and that oh, guy left there, me, you know, and this guy was pretty nasty. guys here. Oh, now what do I got? I got this old guy over here. Yeah, oh, you know, it's it's like that. I think he's just he's just feeling lonely, you know. What do you got? In addition, I was going to say it, it sounds very much like he's trying to warn.
warn of what's coming, too, from a persecution standpoint, and to can further strengthen the faith, knowing that, it's, like, it's hey, this is the problem. Like, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. Yeah, that's you know? good. And that's so, good. even uh, though he does sound a little despondent, he's, he makes very strong points yeah, he does. to be like, my faith hasn't been shaken yeah. at all yes. from being in prison, from all the stuff befalling yeah. me, yeah. and neither should it when this happens to you, it shouldn't shake your faith either. That's cool. That's good. And another, yeah, like another reference, thinking about charges to people as they're on their deathbed, reminds me so much of Moses, right? At the end of Deuteronomy, he, his, his message to the people of Israel is, I know what you're going to do yeah. and how you're going to leave God, but in the end, God's going to bring you back. This is almost Paul saying, I know what the world is going to do they're around you, you but... and it's going to be a complete... Um, godless disaster. Yeah. So you've got to stay strong in the midst of that because I'm just giving you a heads up. It's going to get worse. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And Peter is going to go through the same thing next week as well. Yes, sir. My other aspect is I really think Phil thought the kingdom come would come in his lifetime. That's why he said I, I'd rather all you guys be like me. No, even Mary. It's not. You don't even have time to do I, it because it's right here. So I think and he, he, and he he writes that way earlier in some of his other letters. Mm -hmm. you, you know, he's thinking it's right. hey, shows you any the, day. His fleshly element. I mean, not in a negative way, but that he just, you know. Well, I think all of them did that, Alex. I really could say that, you know, I think almost every one of the writers, we could find some aspect where they were convinced. He left. Most of them watched him leave. Mm -hmm. And they were believing he was coming back before they all died. Well, he said, as you see me go, so I shall return. But, yeah. I mean, if you take it that literally, kinda, you're like, okay. Well, got kind of got the assumption yeah. there that <laughs> could be now. Rats. Now. No. You know, that kind of deal. So I, I think they all had that. Uh, and then towards the end of their lives, you, you sense a despondency of, hmm. But the sages have picked up on, on this, that every generation should be ready for the coming of Messiah. Okay, And just as disappointed if it didn't happen in your lifetime. Yeah, well, I've been teaching my kids since they were born that I, I was absolutely confident. There was no possible way that the things that we had studied in the Scripture could possibly come to pass in my lifetime. But I felt fully, absolutely, 100% confident that it could and would happen in their lifetime. So I raised all five of my kids to believe that the Messiah would come in their lifetimes. And that they would see me die before it happened. But that they should be ready. And they should live their lives with that expectation. Now, when they get to be my age, they're probably going to start leaning the same way I did. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so, there it is. While we were on chapter 3, what would, that I got really thrown off by the having the appearance of godliness. Where, was it, where are we? What, what, so, chapter five, uh, chapter, or verse 5, sorry, in chapter 3. See, I'm already up to 4, 6. I can't believe you're no. still there. No, I just All was right. curious about, because obviously none of the things in the list prior to that phrase could could have the appearance of godliness. I just got a little thrown off by that. But I don't no, know if no. anyone has any thoughts. Yeah, well, I, I'll wait to hear what other folks have to say. <laughs> so if we, uh, we just, let's read it so that you know, everybody can jump in there with you. But I understand this, chapter 3, verse 1, that in the last days, right? So that's actually what we're going to be doing um, our next study on. Uh, last is the word eschatos, where we get our theological word, a $9 word, eschatology, the study of the last days, and uh, days in the Greek. There will come times of difficulty. 
For people will be, and here we go, lovers of self. You can counting with me? That's one. Lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, never do that. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, no, no, just lovers of pleasure. Having the appearance of godliness. And then they deny his power, but that's not one of them. So how many is that? I think we counted Is it 15? I got 14, but I may have miscounted. So something like that. Over a dozen. 14 or 15? You got 13. Do we, do we have to go through There's more? There's more than a dozen. <laughs> so we're a dozen of these things. So I, 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 would, I would... More than a dozen. I would, I would submit that perhaps many of these things are a carnal nature that does not necessarily have an outward appearance that is obvious Again, all the time. Like, like the, the best example I can think of is Esau. Um... Because that they compare him to a pig, so the pig has hooves that are split, right. and you look at that and you go, "Oh, the animal's kosher," but it doesn't chew its cud, so it's almost like which is inside. The, well, yeah, it's it's an inside thing. It's not so much that it's not visible at some point, but you have to be paying really close attention. Um, but I, to me, also, I think that if you look at verse five, the appearance of God is denying His power. Oh, well, I'm going to pause and let them talk. All right, go ahead, Scott. Well, I was just going to say that from a uh, an example standpoint, I, I I think of the very extreme end here, and without naming any names, think about the uh, church leaders that we have seen fall mm. from various mm. elements. If you go through just this in the past list, twenty years, yeah, just in the last twenty years, you, and you know, think about the late nineteen eighties, the mid nineteen eighties, and the and the, the surge of of ministry leaders the churches and, yeah. and the leaders thereof and you go through this list and you can tick them off mm. and you get even down to the last one in, in verse the first one of verse 5 holding to a form of guidance because there's not a member of the churches that they were leading who would have thought that they had any of the characteristics in the prior mm. three verses okay. now that's way up down to the extreme take that down the level to others in leadership to those in the church not even in leadership they all hold to a form of godliness but these kind of things are rampant yeah. in yeah. the visible expression of the, the church today, yeah. yeah Alex From, I'd say the answer comes in verse 7 he basically if he would have just started off with always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth that's the um, the godliness or the reverence that he's talking about they're learning as if sure. it is, but they're not coming to it as a result. Here is all their and they, and they treat the character with attributes a, with a high right. You know, so they have the appearance of all oh, studied and learned, but their works or attributes reflect differently. And I think you can go with also interesting that the word truth normally refers to the Torah, right? When you talk about the truth, and I think that you can even use this example, verse eight. Is it, Making mentioning Janus and Jambres, according to as, as Greg pointed out, the traditions that's the names of the Egyptian um, magicians. But what are the? If, I think that's an interesting example because he could have chosen anything. Why did he choose those? Not best because they happen to be two people who opposed Moses. There are quite a few people who opposed Moses throughout his lifetime. But these two guys represent what? They represent a um, 
almost like a worldly spiritualism that challenges the truth. They're they're counterfeit, even though they have power, even though they can cause you know their staffs to turn into snakes and whatever else. It's all even if it's not fake from a, like a literal sense. It's 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 evil. It's yeah. not it's not it's not true. And in the end, they're they're exposed when they come down with boils and they can't make the lice and whatever else to be shown that they don't have the power of God. They have a very limited source of power. So I think that I do agree with, with Mr. Martin and with Alex on the context, on the examples here that apply. But you could also take it to our age today. How many, I mean, you go to walk into a Barnes & Noble, if there are still any Barnes & Nobles, um, and you walk into the self-help section or Google it on Amazon, there's a thousand books and all the different things you can do to be a good person. I mean, you the, got how many people? Oh my goodness, unbelievable! You got how many got people out Bible there? Oh, he's so holy! I, he just stepped in the room, and I just I could only I could just sense goodness, and it's like, yeah, this guy doesn't know have any idea who God is. He denies the scripture completely. I'm not thinking that's holiness you're feeling. There may be a light in the tunnel, but it may not be the sun. The point is that the. Um, the problem that we've got is... Is that a train going? Right. We, we have a world today that is full of people who uh, profess to have a form of godliness but deny the very God who defines what that should look like. Mm-hmm. If we, if you brought us a, an extra verse. Take one more verse uh, beyond that. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding faith. Now, I've that really... Something else, you know, it's a dokimos, um, and it it means rejected. There, it's actually the word for refuse. I mean, so trash. They're trash when it comes to faith. It's just trash. They're, they just they just don't have anything there. It's worthless, mm. and. I'm so sad to see some of these Bible teachers that, you know, is week after week after week after week. Yeah, you know, let's go on a trip to the Holy Land. Oh, let's do this and this. You know, and you know, it's like you, you talk to their adherence. And there's nothing there. They, they can't articulate their faith. They haven't learned anything that's applicable in their lives. They've got a whole bunch of head knowledge now about, you know, where, where the Dome of the Rock should be and where the, you know, Ark of the Covenant's under the Queen of England's throne and, you know, all that kind of cool stuff. And, and you're like, why well, how do you live out your life? How do you train up your kids? Well, they've learned a whole lot about how they're supposed to, you know, forgive themselves and love themselves right. and how all the problems really are because of their parents That's but right. God loves them anyway yeah. and whatever and yeah. it just ends up becoming more of a psychiatrist chair than a Bible study exactly. not that there isn't some good value to that but when that becomes the only message then yeah. um, the, the yeah. teachers have failed is that that's yeah, a good question yeah, thanks for I think the fright, most frightening thing is that the verses you just read and that we've been talking about I mean I can't think of a of a more comprehensive description of the culture we live in. I mean, you read through this, these aren't even things that are shocking in our culture. That's right. I mean, it's not like you read through it and you go, oh, that's really bad. It's more Heart, like... Heartless. I actually don't know that many people who don't fit. I mean, it's like, that's what it's supposed to feel like. I mean, you watch the news today, 
turn, turn on a sitcom. Yeah, I and mean... These, these are the things that are promoted. These are normal commercials. I mean, you know, if the kid's not acting disrespectful to their parents, it's not funny. Right. You know, it's not real. I mean, you read through this stuff, and it's like, well, there are a couple of categories that maybe the world still might find them disturbing, like abusive. But then you read, you know, see the news, and it's like, well... Now that uh, people can start spilling the beans to the to the uh, newspapers from the things that they you know signed contracts they wouldn't say before, it turns out basically everybody in power is doing something terrible to somebody else. I mean, it's just as you read through it, it just really is. It's um, I can understand Paul being disheartened, yeah. even though even though we know it's a sign of Messiah's coming. It's like oh, how far have we how, fallen? How bad is it? And then the scary thing sometimes too is you read through it, you start seeing your own reflection, hmm. being like, "Ooh, well, I, I have some tendencies in some of these areas." Case. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to count with me again? Nineteen. <laughs> 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 I, I remember that in that you know you don't want to do the back half, right? Um, do, do you know what I'm saying? So when he says. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Did you count that as two? One. It's good. You got 19, did you? Yeah. I think I might actually be able to get 19, too. I'm going to take you 19. So we're going to count again. Now we're going to do chapter 4 and verse 1. Um, Paul charges Timothy, and I would uh, infer that he also charges us, in the presence of God and of Messiah Yeshua, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his kingdom. Here we go. Number one, you, you can. Priest the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That's one. If you're ready in season and out of season, is there a time when you're not ready? No. Always ready. Really? Joshua, do you believe that? If I'm ready in season and I'm ready out of season, <coughs> is there any time when I'm not ready? Physically impossible. Are you ready for this question? In season, out of season. So is there an in between? No. If you're a baseball player, it's off-season. Thank you, brother. Right. <laughs> so, read the word. Be ready in-season and out-of-season. Reprove, that's three. Rebuke and exhort. How do we exhort? We exhort with complete patience and teaching. So that's five. So you had like, what did you say, 19? Yeah. 19 bad ones that we should avoid. And just a short five that we should do. So I'd just like to spend just a few minutes, if we could, to, uh, to just see. Preach the word. Just do you do that? Not yet. You're, you're a talker. Do you preach the word? Not yet. So when you're in Harris Teeter with your mom, and you're pontificating to the lady who's picking up the wrong peanut butter. Just do your do your brother just kind of jump with her? Oh, preach it, brother! Is <laughs> that that's not happened yet? No, not yet. Okay. So you uh, you fairly older men, do you uh, would would you can you can you give me examples of when you preach the word? You know Greg Upham's famous comment is you know go throughout the world preaching the gospel, and if you have to say something. What's his, what's his point? We walk it. Oh, right, that's yeah. our actions. It's our actions. We preach it every day. That preach the word. Now, Caruso does have uh, a, a connotation of um, 
publishing uh, or proclaiming as a herald to announce openly and publicly. I would argue that wearing Zitzi, wearing a kippah, not working on the Sabbath, refusing to eat non-food, to me, these are proclamations. These are public affirmations of our faith. So, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And highly. We're going to give you a bye then. Well, I was even thinking of the the Tuesday night classes right. or Shabbat portion discussion sure. where we're chiming in and we're, we're actively engaged in, in a community dialogue with each other. That's good. Yeah, like the, the Shabbat dinner table, talking, teaching your kids. I mean, all, all this falls in there. I, I think that whether it's a private family gathering, or it's a public work environment, or it's just going to the store. We do this by walking out the commandments. Mm-hmm. Because that's what Moses told the people. If you keep these commandments, the world, those folks out there will see your good deeds. And they will glorify your Father in heaven. That's tremendous. All right, so that's preaching the word. Being ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? And do you do it? Well, the seasons would be the Moedim, right? Each day as you go up. I I don't know if it's a it's a a similar I mean, it's a similar word, but I don't know if it's. A, um, so when you gather together, fellowship with your brother, to me that's, you know, men coming together those three times. Huh. I beg your pardon. It is the word Eucharos, where we get Eucharist. So there is a, a religious connotation to that, but uh, that's, that's, that's good. Maybe you could so, say... So, I mean, just building off of that, not, I mean, not just whenever, you know, you're required to, but in your everyday lives. <laughs> Your secular that's, lives. That's good. I've I've yeah. learned tonight. That's that's yeah. outstanding because I think it, it the, the the text actually uh, supports that. That's good. All right. So whether we're doing the Moedim or, or whatever, maybe that's great. Um, about reproving. When's the last time you reproved somebody besides me? In the Torah. Um, I have a helper, you know, I've got a helper and people I train at work and, oh, you know, actually driving along with the helper, you know, talking about what's important in your relationship with God. What's important, what's right, what's wrong. Good for you. That's, that's reproving. That's great. Actually, I would say I hardly ever do because reproof for me is only to those who are bearing the fruit, such as you guys or my friends or my economy. So they're pretty godly men and I don't have to prove but the world that I see around me I don't open my mouth to them because they're not open to it and there's okay. no point so, so I this quickly say that riding with my helper I got in a conversation and and I actually stopped and said hey if this is making you uncomfortable or anything I don't want to bug you and he's like no no I was like oh good right, so, so this <laughs> word I think is, is the best way to put this word this Greek word is 
to to convict someone to make them feel guilty right to this is to to put to the proof to to test um, I just hired two new guys uh, their first day was today and when I talked to them on the phone to interview them one of the first things I ask is how do you know right from wrong their answer to that leads determines the, dis, the length of the conversation. Because if they don't have a good answer to that, I am unable to hire them. So if the Word of God has some bearing and they can articulate that in even the smallest way, I'm willing to continue on. But if they have no mooring, if there's no foundation, if they just pick and choose what might or may be right that day, I don't need anybody like that working for me. So, I think I think rebuking can go both ways. It's the next one that I would put with you and me, and that's rebuke, and that's what I demand of you guys. If I'm messing up, who else loves me enough to say, "Hey, like he's done to me"? That's just not the right thing to do. That's not what we do. Right? That that rebuke, I think, is. For those in the family of faith, and I, I hear you on that one. That's that's like, well, this is inappropriate for me to rebuke somebody who never claimed Christ. I mean, why am I imposing my morality or the morality or a morality on some guy who doesn't want anything to do with it? We have nothing in, in common. <laughs> that's right. You know, so what's the standard to which I'm holding him? This is my standard. You know, um, how about exhort? Exhort anybody? No, no, no exhorters. Exhorters? You exhort anybody? No. I, I, I would hope we do that one more often. I would, I would hope just you recognize how much it exhorts me when you show up. Yeah. Like the, 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 the entire book of Second Timothy is basically one long exhortation. Right. <laughs> ah, all right. Final comments on Second uh, Timothy. I think it's neat just to, to finish up that verse. Yeah. It's neat that those aren't done in a vacuum, but they're done with great patience. And teaching. And instruction, yeah, and teaching. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's, uh, it, it lends the, itself to the, uh, the whole attitude. I was gonna put it in relationship. Yeah. Because for me to take the time to be patient with someone while I'm teaching them, there's got to be a relationship yeah. there. Yeah. And for me to do to take the time, not just to point out that you're wrong, but to instruct and train in the ways of righteousness, yeah. there's got to be a relationship there to desire for me to further you bet. That, the person that I'm, I'm exhorting. I'm reminded of the... Uh... Other than these two guys today, the most recent hire we had uh, was a guy named Frederick. And uh, he's, uh, he's been in the IT business like me almost as long, uh, but uh, for the past 10 years has been working for another man, uh, small business like mine. But the guy he was working for knew more than he did. And I think. Frederick would argue that I know more than he does. 
And uh, his biggest complaint was that he was, his, his boss would never teach him anything. He would kind of keep that under his hat. And if Frederick needed assistance, the boss would step in, do the task, not teach him how to do it, and sort of keep himself as a necessary person. And uh, uh, one of the greatest compliments I've gotten in the past couple of months from Frederick was that, you know, he's just, he loves the fact that I, I don't want to hold anything back. I want him to know everything that I know. And uh, he's just tickled pick to be able to just pick up that Zoom call and get on a video conference with me at the drop of a hat. And you just wrote to so-and-so that he should do such and such. And I don't know how to do that. Teach me how to do it. I'm like, all right. And I teach him how to do it. He's great. Thanks. And he hangs up the phone. Two, three times a day this happens. You know, so he is learning by leaps and bounds, and he's almost giddy. He loves it, and he's so grateful for it. And and really, isn't isn't that what you're what you're, you're, what you're implying? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm only doing that because I care about him. Right. I want him to be better each day. It's and, making an investment. Yeah. And and you invest in those you love mm -hmm. and have that relationship. With mm -hmm. yeah. Great, good comment. Final things, comments, anything else on Second Timothy? I think towards the end, I thought this was just kind of a, an interesting, where he talks about the cloak, right? Oh, yeah. But then he mentions books and, and the parchments. parchments. Especially the parchments. Well, especially the parchments, yes, because the parchments. That, when, when he said that, and you think of parchments, that, I was thinking more of like the Tanakh. So that's the scriptures, right? Like, sure. You know, this, they, they roll out the scroll for Yeshua to read from Isaiah and everything. Mm -hmm. Books. What were those books? I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Clearly important still, but most likely not scripture. Scripture most likely would have been reserved for scrolls, and specifically parchment because of the care of the scribes that were that were preparing those. But books. I mean, I don't know. Well, we know he was well read. Sure. And, and we know that he read secular stuff you know so maybe it was Lord of the Rings I don't know but <laughs> I also thought it was kind of cool that in that, that last little section he mentions Mark yeah he's really used to him. yeah he's useful to me yeah. and I, that was so cool because remember the back of the axe didn't go so well because Mark ditched him yeah and Paul wasn't going to have anything else to do with them that's right um, and it caused a big rift with one of his good friends, then Barnabas. Well, they, they didn't work together again after that. So later on in one of the other epistles, Mark is referenced. So you see that obviously things are better. Um, that's kind of cool. By the end of his life, Paul has, has, has found a way to uh, forgive is the right word, but to give Mark a true second chance and kind of reevaluate him. Yeah. And, and Mark has matured to the point that he has... He is singled out oh, as one of the handful of people that Paul really wants to see. Very ministry partner now, rather than an abandoner. Mm -hmm. You know, because he mentions people that have abandoned him, which is ironic, because he says it right before he talks about Mark, and Mark had abandoned him. You know, and it, at Miletus, I mean, it was really early on in the whole deal too. So that's good. Yeah. All right, Scott, when you close mm -hmm. this out, sir. Sure. Father, we thank, we're thankful for our time together tonight, uh, for the, the questions and the, 
opportunity to, uh, to talk through uh, issues and, and to learn, Father. Uh, we pray, Father, that the learning would translate into those deeds of righteousness that you've called us to. We pray, Father, that we would uh, truly be a light to others. Pray that you would uh, cause us to be the men and the husbands and fathers and sons that you've called us to be mm. each and every day. We pray these things because of our relationship with our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Baruch atah, Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kedushanu b'mitzvotah, v'itzmanu al-seferat ha-omer. Today is 18 days of the Omer, which is two weeks and four days of the Omer. Amen.